Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're going through to the third of our divisional roster previews uh, tonight, and it's the one everybody's been waiting for, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, joining us is Alex Kazora. Alex, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Thanks again for having me back on. Always a lot of fun to have you on for these Know Your Foe episodes and for any other preseason stuff we do on the Steelers. And I appreciate uh, uh, the back and forth always with you, Alex. Uh, uh, so tonight, uh, you know, the Steelers obviously in a little bit different position this year than they have been in the past. Uh, a lot of cap problems uh, imposed by the COVID cap. Uh, and the Steelers had to do some offseason shuffling to get that in order. They did. Um, you know, obviously no one could predict what happened with a pandemic, but the Steelers and understandably so for years have done the old can kicking down the road, restructuring contracts, especially with Ben in an effort to try to win now and put the best roster for the for the present. Um, but, you know, you reap what you sow and now they're they're finally sowing with everything after the cap, you know, constriction. And again, you can't you know blame them for what happened with COVID. But, um, yeah, they certainly had one of the most difficult off seasons in, in quite some time. Yeah, I th think that uh, another thing that I want to talk about, first of all, uh, Alex underscore Kozara, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, that's me. Okay. Find me on Twitter that way. Him on Twitter. Let's make sure people get a follow-up at the beginning of the episode, and then uh, at the end he'll tell you about the rest of his work as well. Uh, but but in addition to the kick in the can down the road, they still have a little bit of that this year with some of the void years, and the Steelers are one of the teams that did that aggressively. 
They did. I think four contracts, I believe, of course, with Ben, with Juju Smith-Schuster, with Eric Ebron, who did a avoidable year extension, and with Cam Sutton, who has two two actual years, and then it'll avoid um, after that. I think it was a four-year uh, deal total. So had to really you know, overturn every single stone to make this thing work cap-wise. And even with all the you know, restructures and the guys they lost, et cetera, very little uh, activity in free agency, they are basically still out of money. I mean, technically they have, I think, 9.6 million in cap space right now, but all of that is earmarked for in-season moves, for mm-hmm. uh, 52nd, 53rd players on the roster, for um, all those kind of things, a TJ Watt extension that should happen this summer that may slightly increase the um, or, or decrease the cap space available for the team right now. So uh, they really had to, you know, bleed every single rock to try to make this thing work. Okay, so TJ Watt, even though this is this is not his this is his second contract, right? Right now? No, he's still on his he's on the fifth year option. Uh, oh, this year option. would be his fifth year option, but they'll get an extension done before the start of the season. Okay, so uh, what, what the reason I'm asking that is because the fifth year option is still going to be a significant dollar amount. So the first year of a multi year deal could still be a little bit less, couldn't it? Right. It's still projected to be. Well, he's working on the fifth year option now, about $10 million, I believe. And so his number for his first year on an extension should probably still come in around that, give or take Mm -hmm. a million or two. So it's probably not going to change things dramatically, but it could slightly decrease or increase his cap hit for the season. All right. All right. Well, let's start on the offensive side of the ball. And people really want to hear about the players more than anything. Of course, Roethlisberger is in everybody's mind as as it always is kind of difficult to get rid of your franchise quarterback after a number of years. It is. Um, but I would say probably this time next year, Ken, we're talking about a new face of the franchise, a new quarterback for this team. Um, just given the way Ben's contract is structured, it voids five days after the Super Bowl. Now, he won't become a free agent five days after the Super Bowl, but this contract will void. He'll become a free agent at the start of the new uh, league year. But, um, you know, I don't want to guarantee anything. Ben's an ultra competitive guy. If his body feels good enough, I think it's still possible he returns. Would the Steelers want him back? Depends on play, obviously. But I think the odds are likely at this point, 2021 will be Ben Swansong. Been hearing a lot about Roethlisberger in OTAs, throwing the ball down the field fairly consistently, fairly regularly, fairly well, uh, which is something obviously that he's very effective out of the shotgun in these mm-hmm. wide sets last year, particularly against the Ravens for that matter. Just drove me nuts in that particularly <laughs> that first game in Baltimore. Sure. But but very effective with multiple wide receivers taking advantage of what teams have to offer in coverage against 10 personnel. Yeah, that was something they did a lot against Baltimore last year in the kind of that catch-up mode because they had no run game last year. And I know that Ben had his struggles and that's well documented and a lot of that criticism is justified, but he was the offense. You think about that Ravens game, that second half, I mean, they threw the ball the entire second half and Ben played really well during that stretch and they needed him to otherwise they wouldn't have started the season 11 and 0 now he fell apart and struggled the rest of the way so did the entire team but it kind of just catches up to you when you have one of the by far the worst rushing attack in football um and so the ota stuff i mean it's on air i, I don't really put a lot of stock into it obviously but um you know i, I think there's been an overcorrection to say that ben's done he's not gonna the arm's not gonna dramatically improve and things like that i'm worried about his knees but i don't think he was so washed up and terrible the way that some people try to frame it uh, last season so he, he, I remember it was the difference was like 41 to 19 million if they cut him. So the, so mm-hmm. the, the new contract, it's less than that in terms of cost for this year, correct? Yeah, he took a $5 million pay cut and restructured his deal. I forget the exact numbers of where his cap pits at. I think it's 20-something million. Um, so that was a pretty heavy reduction. Actually, the pay cut 
didn't create a lot of cap space. It created about a million dollars in cap space, but again, they needed to, you know, figure out every single way to free up space. So a million here, a million there, and kind of adds up over time. So yeah, it took a pretty big cap uh, hit, and he had to do it. They, the team made it very clear he could not remain a stealer if they didn't dramatically and significantly rework his deal, and they did. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you know, certainly Roethlisberger's been a thorn in Ravens' sides for a long time now. <laughs> so it's the 18th year coming up right now. That's that's right, isn't it, Alex? I'm sorry, you cut out a second there. I didn't, okay, I didn't sorry catch about it. that. Eight, 18th year for, for Ben coming up, right? Uh, 2004, so whatever the, the math is, he's yeah, 39 years old. So, yeah, been a long so time. The, the first game I remember, the second game of 2004, he came in in relief of Tommy Maddox in Baltimore. And I think it was the only game the Steelers lost uh, prior to right. the playoffs that year. Yeah, they won 15-1 and one that yeah. regular season, yep. So, uh, uh, anyway, uh, let's, let's move on to running back because obviously – Steelers making a big move with a number one draft pick uh, uh, going at running back. Tell me your thoughts about that as uh, in terms of the modern game. Yeah, I know the analytics will say that you're not supposed to do it, and I don't necessarily love the idea on paper of a running back, but the Steelers are the least analytical team in football. you got Mike Tomlin, Kevin Colbert. They're, they're old school, go-with-your-gut people. We just love the tape. I mean, you, know, you bring a calculator into that room, you'll get thrown out. Like That's kind of who these guys are. Um, but they needed a running back desperately, and, I, and I, I was okay with it because, A, I think Najee Harris was by far the best running back in this draft. I think, B, he's the most complete running back in this draft. You're not getting just a run or you're getting a block or you're getting a really accomplished and competent receiver. This guy reminds me of Le'Veon Bell in so many ways, right down to their ability to hurdle guys. Um, C, you're getting an immediate playmaker, immediate starter for your team. Uh, D, you're getting it at a position of knee where you have to improve this run game. If they don't improve this run game, you're going to have the same ills that caused this team to tank last season. Um, and then uh, finally, I would say that the, the offensive line depth was so good in this draft that they could wait a little bit. If you didn't get a running back at 24 and Harris and Etienne, John Devontae Williams were gone, you were gonna get, going to get a tier two guy who was not going to be your future back. And that was going to be a problem. So um, I could stomach this one, given the circumstances, much more than I could maybe other years. And plus, it was pick 24. It's not like you're taking Trent Richardson at three or even Barkley at two or something like that. Well, you have a blue chip prospect there. You know, 24 sure. overall, just got a good, talented player who's going to help your team win. I think Harris will do that. Yeah, kind of the nature of the Ravens and Steelers is you never get that top pick. And when you right. do get 24, you hope to get Ed Reed. You hope to get, give me a guy who's been picked in the 20s for the Steelers. But, you, you know, you hope to get a great player. But, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't always work out. Right. I mean, this team hasn't picked in the top 10 since 2000. And last time they were even close to that was 04 with Ben. So just get a good player who's going to help your team win. And listen, I have no illusion Najee Harris is not going to be a stealer eight years from now. I mean, you get four years, a fifth year option, and put him on the pile and start again. That's like best case scenario. That's just the nature of running back, but uh, that's fine with me. Yeah, that's, that's the way I always feel about it is that you, you really want just four years exactly out of that running back. Can, am I coming through okay sound wise right now? Uh, it's a little hard to hear you, but I got you. Okay, I will need to try and fix that on the fly here. But let's let's move on and, and uh, talk about the tight end group. And I want to hear, first of all, personnel group-wise, what are you expecting this year? Yeah, I think it'll still be a base 11 personnel team because, you know, you still have four really strong receivers. But with the tight ends, you know, you have Eric Ebron, who's going to be probably in his final year with the Steelers. His contract will avoid as well, kind of your pass-catching guy. Of course, they drafted tight end Pat Frymuth in the second round out of Penn State. And... Uh, I think Frymuth's a really well-rounded guy. The ceiling's not super high. I kind of compare him to a Austin Hooper, even a Hayden Hurst kind of player. You guys are familiar with with Hayden mm -hmm. Hurst. Um, but I, I just am so happy they invested in the tight end position. You know, they've only taken three tight ends in the top four rounds since 2000. It was Heath Miller um, in 
when he was at 05, Matt Spath in 07. So Fry Moose, the first tight end they've drafted in the top four rounds since 2007. Crazy, crazy long time. And hopefully he can be a longer term option for this team. One of those more traditional inline blockers, someone who has experience on a three point stance at that in high school, did that in college at Penn State. So I think the learning curve for tight end is pretty steep rookie year. And I think you have to temper your expectations for Fryermuth year one because he was a true junior who only played four games in 2020 because of a shoulder injury. So I wouldn't expect big things from him as a rookie. But if Ebron's gone after the season by 2022, Fryermuth hopefully will be inserting himself into the starting lineup. What about the 11 personnel situation? Obviously, against mm-hmm. the Ravens, a lot of 10, a lot of sure. the Steelers' talent in terms of their playmakers is at the wide receiver position. So the question comes up is, are they are they comfortable running Najee Harris alone with four wide, a lot of more 11, or are we going to see 12, 21 even? What, what do you expect? Yeah, hopefully they'll have a little more versatility and balance this year. It'll be a base 11, probably you know, 60% of the time. Um, You're not going to see a ton of 10. That just happened because they just had no other answers last year. They were just trying to jumpstart the game and let Ben have a bunch of weapons and kind of work things on the fly. They probably ran more more 10 personnel in that Ravens game alone than they did any other game of the season. Um, But hopefully at least you can be more effective in 11, be more effective running in 12 and, even potentially see Frymuth work a little bit in 11 over Ebron when you want a better run blocking tight end out there. Because as sad as it is to say, I think Frymuth is a rookie without playing a snap is your best run blocking tight end on your roster already. Right. It's interesting that you, you said that about the 10 personnel and that all really coming in the Ravens game. But the Ravens really a lot of their offseason was still about rebuilding a cornerback position. It's already got some depth to it, but they, they're, they're short on slot corners. And last year, uh, you know, had Terrell Bonds in there at slot corner who got picked on a little bit, including a DPI and three three catches in that second half comeback. Uh, anyway, uh, interesting that they worked around They had to work around it that way. Tuck, let's mm-hmm. talk about a little bit about that wide receiver position though now and uh, all the talent there. Yeah, it's pretty much the same group as last season. I was surprised pleasantly to see Juju come back. It really felt like he was going to be gone. I think Juju even admitted like he felt like he was going to be playing somewhere else, but his market not as hot as he hoped it would be. He came down to, you know, as you guys probably know, Baltimore, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh. And so he took less money to, to come back with Pittsburgh on a one-year deal worth $8 million. Again, it'll avoid to free up cap space. Um, but I think he wanted to be with Ben. Um, and an offense that's going to get him the football. I think he chose Pittsburgh over Baltimore because if he goes to the Ravens, he's going to run first offense. He's got Mark Andrews to compete with and for, you know, slot middle of the field type snaps. And so he just wouldn't have put up big numbers the way he hopefully up getting 60 uh, can and, and, and will in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, sorry about that. I cut you off, cut you off because I, because you sound cut off, and I apologize for that oh. right there. Uh, okay. talk, let's talk through the other wide receiver depth, though. Yeah, uh, again, they really haven't added anybody um, in terms of, you know, beyond the top three, you'll have, you know, James Washington, kind of more reserve role this year, which is Claypool is sending, taking away some of his snaps. Ray McLeod's going to be kind of your gadget guy. I think what's interesting is, you know, how new OC Matt Canada is going to use some of these gadget guys coming from the college game um, with, with jet sweeps and, you know, motion and stuff like that. You, sh- you should see a lot more pre-snap motion for Pittsburgh this year, probably more pistol as well, which are hopefully help the run game help play action this team has been so ineffective and just so infrequent using play action because ben does not like being under center so hopefully you can use pistol as a way to kind of you know let him get away from center but get some of that downhill run action that will make play action more effective so i think you know that's one thing we should talk about is new uh, oc matt canada yeah, you, you, we'll, we'll get to that in just one mm-hmm. second, but play action, it's interesting because I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of a particular chart you may have seen in the last few days yep. in terms of Pittsburgh having the least and, and least effective play mm-hmm. action. But 
play action is honestly, it's different in the NFL because all the teams under shotgun, what they consider play action is very different. You have to break it down into the true turn your back on the field fakes mm-hmm. versus these forward fake, faced, facing fakes that come out of the shotgun. And then sometimes they go all the way to the mesh and sometimes they don't. And, and in particular with Jackson, that's a, that's a really significant differential. So I, I, I just, I, I think we've lost the definition of play action we've lost a meaningful definition of play action by so much shotgun dominating the game right now that they need to really, you know, split those out into these forward facing fakes and the turn your back. And I think then the Steelers would look a little different in terms of, of, of how it was. I'm, I'm not sure how different, mm-hmm. but, I, but most of it would be turn your, um, uh, most of it would probably be turn your back right with Ben. So likes to be out of shotgun. Doesn't like mm-hmm. to be out of under center. Yeah. No, he hates it. Okay. No, you're right about that. No, no, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's a good point, but I think for Pittsburgh, the numbers will still be poor, and I think you want to see some of, the, some of that more, I guess, traditional play action where you can really hopefully kind of sucker the defense, and they do none of that, and hopefully mm-hmm. Pistol will kind of be that compromise to being able to do that while keeping Ben you know, away from center. So, Roethlisberger, of course, thrown in the Ravens' side for many years on extended plays. Uh, how much of that did we see in 2020 from Ben? Obviously not as much. He's not the old school Sandlot Ben. I mean, he had the quickest release in football in like 2.2 seconds. Some of that was the run game substitute stuff, the one-step game, the three-step game to get the ball out. Um, So that's one reason why that number was so low. But obviously he's not going to be, you know, throwing off Terrell Suggs the way he did years ago to throw that incompletion, that wild and crazy game um, and and fighting Haloti Nada and Kelly Gregg and all that. So his game's evolved because it's had to. He's 39 years old. He can't run the way he could whenever he was, you know, 27. And his knees are... Not great. His knees. People talk about the arm last year. His knees were a bigger problem than his arm. His knees were just failing him. I mean, he's got arthritic knees. He's admitted that. He was on the injury report for some sort of knee injury that we never really knew what that was. But that's my biggest concern. It's not necessarily the arm, but just will those knees hold up, especially over a 17-game season? It's a big deal for pitchers um, uh, in baseball to be able to throw with their legs. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and did did you think that affected his um, velocity at all last year, his knees? I don't know if it affected the velocity, but some of that downfield, just arm strength and accuracy. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was an issue in 2018 before the injury. He had some real big issues throwing the deep ball before the injury happened, and this was a big story. So none of that's brand new, but I think um, just looking a little tired, and yeah, I think some of the – some of the extra oomph you need on that downfield throw uh, that comes from your right, the ground up and that torque you can get just, he didn't have it last year and hopefully he's healthy this year. I'm sure he is healthy feeling good. Now we'll see how he feels though. in in, in December 31st and then May 31st. All right. All right. So now I guess one of the most interesting groups, the offensive line for the Steelers, it's, it's been uh, what has made the Steelers offense in part, at least very special over the last decade or so. Uh, talk a little bit about it and how it's kind of evolved. I mean, it hasn't evolved. It's a transformation. I mean, it is, you know, from two years ago, the only guy that's still here in the starting lineup is David Castro, the right guard. Everyone else is brand new or at least you know, new to the starting lineup or their position. Um, so I think it is by far the biggest question mark. And I can't say how good or bad this, this line will be. I just think we'll have to wait and see. You got Chuck Wilmar, core four, who's going to shift from right tackle to left tackle. Zach Banner towards the ACL in week one of last year's game. So he'll come back and play right tackle. This year, Kevin Dotson will be a full 16-game starter at left guard. Who's going to be our starting center? It'll either be rookie Kendrick Green or veteran P.J. Finney, who they brought back after a disastrous 2020 that he had. So how this group works individually and then collectively as a starting five with a new offensive line coach, a new assistant offensive line coach, a new offensive coordinator. I mean, it is just 
totally revamped. And so I can't tell you how good or bad they're going to be. I don't think anyone knows the answer to that right now, but it will be what defines its offense and by extension, what defines this team and how far or, or, or not how far they go. That's interesting. And, and uh, uh, prior to 2020, um, this line had, had the reputation certainly as being a very good pass blocking line and less so as a run blocking line. Do I have that correct? Or am I you do. Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's, I, I don't know what the reputation is right now, to be honest. I mean, I think we'll just have to wait and see. And I think what the reputation they had before was just that consistency. It was the same group of five guys for three or four seasons, rare continuity. And now it's totally different. And that's probably a good thing considering how poor things were last season. They were a terrible run blocking team pass pro. I think they were still pretty good in, but Ben getting the ball out of his hand so quickly certainly helped. But, um, you know, I, I think we're just going to have to see this group work together and we'll see at center, you know, who your starter is going to be. I think Kendrick Green, the rookie from Illinois, um, is the better player than BJ Finney, more athletic. They're kind of probably going to run more zone this year, um, probably more inside zone, more outside zone as well. So, you know, we'll see how that looks as well. And, and, and Green's a better fit for that scheme than BJ Finney. But Green's also a pretty raw guy, a junior who doesn't have a ton of experience. And so uh, we'll see what the NFL, uh, you know, how, how he handles that out of the gate. Now, are the Steelers uh, the sort of organization that you can look to in the past? I know there have not been that many opportunities where the Steelers have truly been out of the playoffs a little bit earlier, meaning by week 12, they didn't really think they had a good chance, where they would make in-season changes to give some of their rookies a chance over veterans. Because obviously the long-term view of the Steelers has been they waited too long to let their, their good defensive players get their first chance. Right. Yeah. I think about Kim Hayward sitting on the bench for two, three seasons to find two playing behind guys. He was better than his rookie season. Um, I think that's evolved. They've gotten rookies on the field right away. So I don't know if that's going to change and they need guys to produce right away. Najee Harris is going to be a, a day one starter. Uh, Kendrick Green, probably a day one starter as well. Fryer Moose going to play at least 400 snaps his rookie season. So um, I, I think that won't be a question because those guys are going to be playing right away. Okay. All right. Anybody else on the defense? Uh, oh, anybody else on the offense, maybe, that was drafted in a later round that you think could surprise this year? Uh, they went more defense later uh, in the draft. Um, they drafted a guy in the fourth round, Dan Moore Jr., offensive tackle out of Texas A&M. He'll probably be more of a reserve guy, okay. uh, left tackle in college. But, um, you know, they went, They drafted four straight offensive players to start for the first time since 1984. And so Harris, Fryer Kendrick Green, those guys are the ones who are going to make probably significant impacts right away. Moore is one of a, a handful of guys I liked for the Ravens. I didn't love him like like I loved uh, Spencer Brown from Northern Illinois. But uh, you know he, he was the Ravens consistently were chasing the developmental offensive tackle market down, mm -hmm. and so they missed out on Moore. They missed out on Brown by one pick, and and they end up I think with a good player in Cleveland. But I think that they've they missed out on several opportunities to get an offensive tackle, and they really need to get younger there. Yeah, and now you got Bill in the way, but right yeah. I assume at right tackle at some point when Stanley comes back which I got to say is an interesting fit uh, for, for a run first offense. Feeling like we're playing right tackle. I think that's uh, will be interesting to tell us a little bit about what we should expect from Alejandro. I think, I think he's really strong in pass pro. Um, he had, you know, he took his lumps versus miles Garrett, like anybody else, but he had some really good reps against him. Um, he uses his size with going to the best traps in football. where he can just chop your arm down and, and take you to the ground as a run blocker though. He is below average. Um, he's durable. I mean, this guy started 90 consecutive games. I think actually he holds the active streak for most consecutive snaps played by an offensive lineman in football right now. I think that was held by Betonio and Treader last year, but they both missed some time. So you've got a guy that's going to, play every single game every single snap but he's never played right tackle essentially and he's not a good run blocker so i don't know how it's going to fit in your offense 
Right. It's it's one of these things where the Ravens ask so little out of the right tackle position in terms mm. of how their offense runs. That I mean, oftentimes they don't even ask them to block the end. It's a down block, move right. to level two. Right. And that's something that is a question I want to ask you about is, is how do you see him being able to move up to level two? And it's often, it's often there's a choice between two things. Move up really what I call half a level and hit a scraping linebacker who's on a, on a power run to the right or a power read or mm-hmm. move into level two and actually be, is he a lunger in level two at all? He's not a lunger. He's more of a lumber, I would say, where he's not. I mean, he has the, the such a long stride and great length. That he's going to kind of reach some of those guys. But on screens and stuff in space, he's not going to be effective. And in terms of second level, some combo blocks or even just not blocking the end on some of those option plays, those replays. I mean, he'll be OK. But I mean, I'm not sure what the plan is for for him. So maybe it works and he'll get a really hard worker and a really good guy. But uh, I just think it seems like an awkward fit considering where he's coming from and, and what system he's going into. But I saw his comments. He seemed really excited about the system you know, he, he's coming towards. Right. I'll just say one more thing about him before we move on is that sure. I think the Ravens really got him more for backup left tackle purposes than really to play right tackle. I mean, it, they, they're, they're going to use him at right tackle, I, mm-hmm. I assume. But they do have other younger players uh, they can put there with, with uh, uh, Tyree Phillips possibly moving back to tackle we'll see if that works he didn't have a good rookie year not doesn't instill confidence so mm. uh, we'll see but it, but it but it feels good to have a backup left tackle on the roster with Villanueva with Stanley's uh you know fairly recurring injuries at this is point. Stanley expected to start week one I don't mean to make this about the Ravens but I'm just curious about Stanley's status you know, you know what I don't think anybody really knows but he did have a second surgery is my understanding mm. so there was some sort of a setback which meant that that may mean that he waits all the way until week one and and then you have to wonder is he the same player when he comes back so it's uh, it's a sad situation where early in a second contract, a player is hurt. It's, you know, for, in terms of team right. building, it's about the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so let's uh, we've, we've talked about the offense a little bit. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball where the Steelers obviously... Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. So still with one of the best units in the league. Big loss of Bud Dupree this offseason. How significant do you think do you think that'll be? I think the significant. First of all, it is significant. Dupree was a great player, great compliment to T.J. Watt, and really was coming into his own. And so, Steeler fans knew as early as this time last year he was not going to be a Steeler. You know, this time now. But um, and I'm glad he got paid by Tennessee. He should do very well there. But but I would say that you know I think sophomore Alex Highsmith is going to play well in his in his absence and step up. He played well replacing Dupree from his 20 ACL last season. The question is the domino effect of, I think it'd be less of a drop off from Dupree to Highsmith and it will be the depth of, you know, Highsmith to whoever the backup's going to be this year, whether that's Cassius Marsh or six round pick Quincy Roche. Edge depth is really thin with Pittsburgh right now. And so they're going to rotate those guys and God forbid, if there's an injury, how do you handle that? Who's going to step up and, and be that guy? there aren't a lot of proven or comfortable answers right now for this team. So right now it's just four guys. It's Roche Marsh, um, uh, Highsmith, and Watt. 
Yeah, and then some future contracts, guys. But but Marsh and Rocher are the top two backups right now. I think they're going to add at some point, whether that's a mm-hmm. trade or for agency or roster cutdowns, more likely than any other um, option. Because I don't think you can go into the season with with Marsh, who is poor against the run, and Rocher, who's a six round rookie. Good value. I like I like Rocher, but a six round rookie playing 15, 20 snaps a game and more. If someone gets hurt, that's uh, that's pretty risky. Right. Yeah, uh, it, uh, that's that's interesting. Okay, and Watt, uh, you know, talk about where he is in terms of his career. What represents a win for T.J. Watt this year, from your perspective? I'm sorry, you cut out a little bit. Was the start uh, of the, the question? question is what represents a win out of T.J. Watt's 2021 season? Well, defensive uh, defensive player of the year would be nice. I'm going to be a little salty about that. Um, I mean, a first of all, he's going to get paid. He's going to become the highest paid defensive player in football. Should break Bosa's mark, I think, pretty easily. Could hit 30 million. They should be the first defender to to do that. But if he can continue to have 15 sack seasons, hopefully get a couple more four stumbles. Those are kind of you know quiet last year after having eight two years ago. But just being a force, a dominant guy that you have to double team and slide protection to and keep the tight end in and the back in the chip and things like that. Um, that's who he is, and he is a guy that is just you know, in all facets, run defense, coverage. They don't drop him that much into coverage anymore, but um, he can still do it. Uh, pass rush ability, effort. Um, he is the entire package. And I think he's, and this is going to sound a little homerish, but I think he's truly on a Hall of Fame track. I mean, he's just. Oh, he's I got, don't think that's homerish. Okay. It's okay. I wasn't sure that was going to come off. I mean, they just yeah. got 50 sacks in four seasons. It's like the yeah. tied eighth most of anybody after their first four years. So he's right. on a really, really, really strong pace. I, I, I think that's completely valid. I would be uh, more than a 50% chance right now, I would say. You know, it's, yeah, if, it's, he's, it's, if, if he stays healthy, I, I don't know what's going to stop him. That's that's really it. That's uh, that would be the way. And the good thing is, and just the last point is that I'm so glad that they stopped dropping those guys in the coverage. T.J. Watt's rookie year, he dropped in the coverage 37 percent of the time. Holy Last year, mackerel. I know. What, what are they thinking? <laughs> Last year was about eight percent, eight and nine percent. So they finally kind of figured out let your pass rushers be pass rushers, and that number should be be about the same this year. Yeah, they still do a fair amount of coverage swapping and and some uh, zone blitzing, right? A little bit, yeah. Not as much as they used to. It's not the you know Nick LeBeau fires in what Keith Butler was doing in his first couple of years taking over for LeBeau. So you get some of that, but not not as much as it was you know even five years ago. All right. I mean, one one of the things I will get to it when I get to the cornerbacks because I want to talk about it then. Um, uh, on the interior, though, uh, been a been a strength of the Steelers since I can remember. I mean, not not my first Ravens Ravens teams, but the first uh, Ravens and Steelers really great rivalry, which would have been in the you know in the in the beginning of the Flacco era, we'll call it, uh, where it lasted for for you know a number of years. Uh, it was Aaron Smith, and it was uh, um, Hampton, and still, and it was Brett, don't tell Brett me Kiesel. Oh, yeah. yeah, there you go. So, so you know, it, uh, they've maintained unbelievable depth on the inside on that defensive line. The Ravens have two to a certain degree, but but uh, that's always been something that's been remarkable to me. And the other thing about it is the Steelers play their guys a retar- ridiculous amount, a percentage of snaps. Yeah, they have. Now, that may change a little bit as Ken Hayward gets a little bit older on the wrong side of 30. But, yeah, those guys will play as much as they'll let them because you got two workhorses in Hayward and Tewitt. And, I mean, they have, again, the whole package, whether that's pass rush, run defense, leadership, effort, chasing the football. They're among the best in football. Tewitt had a big breakout season last year, I think, about 11, 11 and a half sacks. Hayward only had four sacks, but he was still excellent. He gets a couple less sacks because he's more of a power bull rusher that kind of gets pressure and doesn't always get to convert those opportunities. But, yeah, you got a unit that has – 50-plus sacks in four straight seasons. They do it one more time this year. They'll be the first defensive unit to have 50 sacks in five-plus seasons consecutive since the 80s Giants with Lawrence Taylor and those guys. So, I mean, they are just consistent pressure every single season. That should be no different uh, this year. 
All right. All right, so uh, let's move off ball here, talk about the inside linebacker group. And obviously, Devin Bush still uh, one of the best in the game, I think, at this point. And uh, you know, who else is around him? And then I have some questions about uh, you know, what you expect out of the Steelers in terms of maybe having some dime looks this year or playing more of that. Yeah, with inside linebacker, just getting Devin Bush back healthy will be huge um, after he went down. And what happened to this defense last year was you had the injuries to him and Bud Dupree and other guys who got hurt. They just kind of uh, can only handle so much as a defense. And they kind of fell apart uh, the, the back half of, of last season. But you're getting Devin Bush back. And so that'll be good. Obviously, they initially released Vince Williams for a cap move and then brought him back on a minimum level contract. So that's kind of, you know, him, he's back in the fold at a really, really uh, reduced price. Mm-hmm. Robert Spillane is there who replaced um, Devin Bush and also Vince Williams because Williams had some COVID issues. Um, he played well last year in coverage. He was pretty good, had that pick six, Lamar Jackson. Run defense, a little shaky, had the big hit on Derrick Henry, but it wasn't always as, as pretty as that play implied. They drafted a guy this year, Buddy Johnson, out of Texas A&M, and I think he's a really well-rounded guy. Not quite as athletic as Devin Bush, not quite the run defender that Vince Williams is, but kind of that good jack-of-all-trades. It's a good athlete, physical against the run patient, diagnoses pretty well. Some of the read off and stuff gives him some problems, but um, I think... They've done well to to give themselves good depth at the position. You got Marcus Allen, who moved from strong safety to inside linebacker last year. Level you know, full off season to um, you know grow and learn from his mistakes he made last year. So I like the depth at, at the position. But of course, above all, getting Devin Bush back healthy that is uh, the biggest you know win of all. Okay, so still only Bush's third year, so he's not doing a new contract yet. Uh, each of the the two Devins. White and Bush that were drafted in 19, right? 19. Um, both both of them weren't incredible players their rookie year. Devin Bush really came into year two and was looking like he was going to have a great season, and uh, then he got hurt. Um, this really, I mean, I, normally I would just expect second or third year. That's, so that's, the, that's the year an inside linebacker figures it out in terms of what's going on behind him in coverage more than anything else. Like the most important, some people would say the hardest thing to learn. I have one frequent guest of the show who always reminds me that's the hardest thing for an inside <laughs> linebacker to learn. I shouldn't be upset with these guys in their first and second year who can't do it. Yeah, I, I think he took on the communication role last year. He was wearing the green dot. And so I think that was a big stepping stone for him was getting to communicate and find out some of that stuff. Because we're not wearing the green dot. You don't really care about what's happening behind you, you know, because you're just doing your job. But whenever you're wearing the green dot and you're responsible for everybody and you're that hub of communication, um, then it becomes a lot more important. And so hopefully, you know, he should retain that green dot status for this season. I think the other thing these guys have to learn is especially the, the Devin Bushes, the Devin Whites, the Ryan Chase years is in college, they were the best athletes. So they could just run around mm-hmm. blocks all day. They didn't have to block shed and block deconstruct and things like that. And so when a guy like Shazier became a good to great player, it was when he learned how to use his hands and get off blocks and be more physical at the point of attack in the run game. Devin Bush is learning that. Still not 100% plays, maybe a little too passive against the run. Um, but I think he's improving there. And you're right. I, I did see improvement in the six games last year before that ACL injury versus uh, the Browns. So um, hopefully that'll continue in year three. Okay, so one of the big questions, and I'm asking this of all the, the guests, because the, the Steelers obviously have pretty good depth at inside linebacker. You mentioned that. You know, they have players they'd like to keep on the field a lot that can also help the pass rush as well. But are the Steelers going to be a team where we see uh, really putting in a safety at, at the weak side linebacker spot on third down, really playing dime to try and uh, get the best possible set of coverage players on the field? 
It's one of those open questions right now, Ken, because the cornerback room in the secondary looks a lot different than a year ago. You know, last year it was Cam Sutton as that six-time DB. You couldn't find many better players suited for that role than a guy like him. Now he's going to be probably your starting right cornerback. And so mm-hmm. I have no idea who the dime guy is going to be. It could be Marcus Allen. It could be sophomore Antoine Brooks Jr., who's a strong safety out of Maryland. It could be Arthur Millette from the Jets, who they signed about a month ago. Um, I'm not quite sure who that guy's going to be. I don't think the Steelers know right now either. There are some some pretty big question marks with the secondary as opposed to a year ago where you just knew who your top six were and didn't have to really worry about it. All right. Well, let's let's move on then to cornerback and, and in terms of who the starting three are. Uh, obviously, there were questions at slot corner. Yeah, I think there's questions everywhere, um, aside from left corner, because Joe Hayden's going to be there, but Hayden probably in his last year uh, with Pittsburgh. So in base 3-4, it'll be Hayden at left corner, Cam Sutton in the right corner, and sub, it starts getting tricky. Um, could Cam Sutton move for the slot? That makes a lot of sense, but the question is going to play on the outside. It could be a couple of young guys, Justin Lane in his third year, kind of had a pretty quiet start to his career. James Pierre, a sophomore, uh, undrafted free agent last year, they're pretty high on. It's probably Pierre's the favorite right now. Uh, but those guys are young and totally unproven. And so um, I think you have to go into camp and just see what you have and what you don't have and make assessments from there. Um, it's pretty much up in the air right now after releasing Steven Nelson, the move that just blindsided me. I had no I, no expectation Steven Nelson was going to get cut. I still think it was the wrong move. I think they could have made other moves to make it work cap-wise. It was a, a cap-related move of why they cut him, but that just hurts your team so much because if you had kept Nelson, then Sutton stays in the slot and everything's kind of easy. But uh, now there are some big question marks with starters and sub and, and depth and all those things. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm maybe missing this. I may be off by a year, but, but Mike Hilton was at slot corner at one point, right? Yeah, last year. And now he's on to uh, Cincinnati. All right. Very, very good. So he's, a, he's certainly a player who with teams, you know, obviously 11 personnel is the predominant package in the National Football League. Whenever the other team puts on 11, you almost guarantee to put on either nickel or more. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, the Steelers didn't play any base looks or not many base looks against 11 personnel, did they? occasionally but yeah i mean most teams match up and so the seals have some flexibility actually that even against 12 they would run some nickel because hilton was so good against the run that he would just fly in there and so you know if cam Sutton's gonna play in this slot he's not nearly as physical not nearly as good against the run he's improved but not at the hilton level so this this team had so much you know just formation and, and just flexibility last year and i think they're gonna be a lot more static this year with some young unproven guys that you know you can't move those guys around the way that you could one big problem i don't mean to, to go on a rant here but you know, so often last year on third down, because Minka would play robber coverage and come down to pick off routes mm-hmm. and play him in center field. No one ever threw the ball anywhere you know close to him. So they would move Minka down and Cam Sutton would become the free safety last year, replace him. Now Sutton can't do that because he's your right cornerback. Who's going to be able to be that guy that can be versatile and play corner and move to the deep half and allow Minka to come down and, and rob uh, crossing routes. I don't know who that guy's going to be. So I think that's actually a really underrated problem for this team right now is um, just defensive flexibility because I think they're going to be lacking that versatility because they have so many young guys that just have to learn their spot and prove themselves in their spot as opposed to last year when you had veteran guys and guys you knew and you know had already proven themselves where you could line them up almost wherever you wanted to. I think you mentioned earlier that Minka coming up on his fourth year, right? This is his fourth yeah, he'll get his extension uh, next year. Next, he'll get his extension next year, and and he still is he still because he was traded. Is he still have a fifth year option associated with it? Did they pick it up already? Yeah, or? they they picked it up. They declined Terrell Edmonds. They picked up Minka's fifth year option. Okay, uh, in so May. Minka ended up being the, one of the best first round draft picks of twenty twenty. 
when they when they traded Moy in 2019. <laughs> right. yeah. And and I, I you know Ravens fans as much as we love that 59. 10 or whatever it was win in Miami in, in the opener. Mm-hmm. Uh, we helped the Pittsburgh Steelers get Minka Fitzpatrick because he had literally one of the worst games I've ever seen a cornerback have. Three touchdowns allowed, and he had a penalty on both of the other mm. touchdowns. So, so, uh, <laughs> so thank uh, was, you. Yes, that's, yeah. that's what you should be saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not me particularly, right. but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. That's the ambassador of the Ravens. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> Pittsburgh sends its regards. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I, I certainly wish it hadn't happened. I, I also wish the Steelers had been giving up a top ten pick to do it, but it didn't. That didn't work out either. So they ended mm-hmm. up giving up just a, 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 you know, a normal kind of a Steelers pick to, to, to get him. So anyway, uh, talk a little bit about Minka. Talk a little bit about uh, Edmonds as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Minka's Minka. He's been fantastic. No, no change with his game. A ball hawking uh, center field safety that, that was kind of the, the missing piece because this pass rush, as I mentioned, they got sacks every single year. They could not turn that into turnovers. They didn't have the DBs who were aggressive in ball hawking. And Minka is the epitome of that. I think hiring Terrell Lawson as a defensive assistant coach and really their de facto secondary coach was was a big influence and a big help for for that whole unit. Um, so he'll be, you know, back at both those guys, Minka and Terrell Austin Edmonds. The option was declined. I was really surprised by that. I think he's had steady improvement every single year. It's kind of a classic box safety or a strong tackler, really improved his missed tackle rate last season. Fills the alley well against the run, but uh, the opposite of Minka, where he's just a non-playmaker and the ball mm-hmm. skills and the coverage skills are, are pretty lackluster. Some improvements, but but not much. And so um, his future is very much in doubt long term with the Steelers. And obviously, the, 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 both the Steelers and the Ravens have had their share of playmakers on the back end, particularly at free safety. And that's one of the things that always gets me is whenever they talk about a team having a very versatile group of safeties. Oh, they're very versatile. <laughs> he can come down in the box. He can go back on the back end. What it usually means is they've got three strong safeties and they don't know whether to play them at dime, <laughs> strong safety or free right. safety. And it really comes down to if you don't have that free safety, you don't really have a safety group that's particularly great. Yeah. So, because, I mean, yeah, there, you can get anyone who can play the run. I mean, I say that a little hyperbolic. Much easier. But, but much yeah. easier than it yeah. is to find that free safety. You can just, you know, take away half the field. And the Steelers have one in Mika Fitzpatrick, and, and that has made a world of difference. All right. All right. Outstanding stuff here. Um, want to talk about, is there anybody else you want to talk about? Any specific rookies, undrafted players that are exciting to you? Yeah, after the draft, I think the Steelers took a look at their depth chart because they only drafted one DB. It was Trey Norwood in the seventh round. So they looked at their depth chart and went, we need to bring in some DBs. So half of their undrafted for Asians, four of the eight were defensive backs. And some interesting names. There's Shakur Brown out of Michigan State, who I think was a draftable guy, has that kind of uh, small, slow thing going on. He ran like a 4.64 at a buck 80. And so that's going to get you undrafted a lot of years. But had five interceptions this past year for Michigan State. And he played like true slot, true nickel at times for the Spartans. So he's not one of those small outside corners you just say, oh, he'll play. To the, play inside just kick him inside and he'll be fine and, and he has the big uh, big projection there so that's an interesting name to keep an eye on and then mark gilbert from duke i think is interesting as well just just to interrupt on mm-hmm. a second on that Ardarius washington sounds like pretty much exactly <laughs> the same guy All right. same thing a little bit slow four six forty played played some uh you know slot which happens a lot by the way in college it's just not that rare teams are will stay in their base defense more and trust one of their safeties is usually a pretty good athlete to cover a slot receiver um but it's it's a uh, uh it's, it's a very similar projection and i'm afraid Ardarius washington ends up on the practice squad in some team maybe maybe in the AFC North figures out his value and 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 snags it. 
I had mocked Washington the Pits or um, yeah, Washington Pittsburgh in my final mock draft because they were at his pro day at TCU. I thought there was a lot of interest there as that versatile guy. But yeah, I think he's a really physical guy. Washington is, and, and he'll come out and hit you. But when you're five eight, you ran like four six five. That doesn't generally you know lend itself to having a strong NFL career. No, it doesn't. It, it, Bob Sanders is the guy people want to comp him to. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the best of that type. But Bob Sanders is hurt all the time. I um, mean, you right. know, you, you, it's not exactly what you want in a in a safety that you're depending on to play 16 games. Right. Anyway. And everyone thinks they're getting Bob Sanders, and most people get uh, a guy <laughs> yes, who doesn't, who is not Bob Sanders. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. Right. It's it's funny how people always compare <laughs> players to the best of their right. specific type. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, always a pleasure to talk to you, Alex. Anything else we should be hitting on? Now, now what I'll say is, when I whenever I do a show with you, it. It is very fast-paced. It completely lacks bullshit, <laughs> and, and other other than from me, but we're we're done in forty minutes, and you know we're at hour and five, hour and ten, talking to the Browns and 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 since you guys and it's a lot of interesting material but you're just you're very rapid in terms of your delivery so if there's anything else you'd like to like to talk about while we're while we're here please uh hit us up with it because great source of information no, i appreciate that i told myself i have to slow down every single time when i talk because i go too fast i'm just trying to get all the information out like i'm saying right now um in terms of specialists uh same kicker punter could be interesting they drafted a punter <laughs> presley harvin the third the big chunky six you know foot 250 pound punter out of georgia tech interesting guy with a big leg can he find the consistency that's going to be the mm-hmm. key for him for pittsburgh they're shaping up to have the same kick returner for back-to-back years for the first time since I believe Rod Woodson in the early 90s. So it'll be nice to have some consistency in the kick return game. Um, so hopefully that'll uh, continue knock on wood. But uh, I think for Pittsburgh, though, honestly, I try to be as uh, objective as possible. It's going to be a tough year. Obviously, the Apes have gotten better. I think Baltimore's about the same with their losses and their gains. The Browns have taken steps forward. Obviously, Pittsburgh's taking steps backward. My projection, and I try not to get too wrapped up in win-loss stuff here in, in, in the offseason, but I like, I'm thinking a 9-18. and 18. I just think it's going to be tough. The, the schedule is brutal. It's a tough end of the season with, you know, Kansas City and Baltimore and, and Minnesota, Tennessee. So um, I, I think it's going to be uh, – they have a chance they're going to be competitive, but it's going to be a tough year just, just given all that, that's working against them. Now, that's one thing we ought to just mention is the NFL – unbelievable preference to the Browns in the schedule between the Ravens and Steelers, both very tough schedules. Mm-hmm. Ravens play two teams coming off buys, which should never happen. I'm pissed off about that. They also have this Cleveland gets Baltimore by Cleveland thing going on. Right. Right it's like the year, first is, time like in forever that's happened, yes. right? Yeah. It's just it's just ridiculous. The Steelers got all kinds of other anomalies too, but I have a schedule scoring system which okay. only gets at the when because the who is already decided. Mm-hmm. You know, the where you're playing is already decided. It's the when that matters. And and the, the Pittsburgh had a minus eight schedule, the Ravens a minus seven, and the Browns are at plus twelve. Wow. So the Browns have got a, just an enormously huge schedule advantage uh, over those teams, and and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. It's. Uh, um, it, 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 to me, to my way of thinking, it probably could mean close to a game in the standings, the compilation of those elements mm-hmm. that won't necessarily work out that way. Maybe, you know, these teams stand up and, and get it done. But the Steelers and, and Ravens both ought to be screaming at the National Football League for the way the games have been scheduled. Yeah, you talk about the when uh, five of the last Steelers six games are versus playoff teams last year and the other ones versus Minnesota, who's going to be, you know, a borderline playoff team. And again, you never know what's going to happen with injuries. So I'm not trying to get too wrapped up about this stuff because no one's going to care about schedule, strength of schedule come week two 
but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it did not do. Is that um, is that the hardest schedules in football? Is Pittsburgh and Baltimore, or were there other ones in your scoring? If, system? if you're talking about last year's record, I don't really get into that because yeah. because first of all, the teams will all be different strengths, and and all of that last year's record never really seems to matter right. as much. First place schedules is traditionally a little bit harder. You get Kansas City, yeah, it's a little bit harder, but uh, I think everyone is playing Kansas City. Yeah, everyone's playing Kansas City this year, so no complaints in the north about that. Um, you know, they, they did the right thing, I think, in terms of having the entire AFC with an extra home game this year mm-hmm. so that they didn't screw up the playoff races in, okay. in by doing that. So that was at least a positive. Um, but anyway, I, I'm otherwise I'm I wouldn't complain about who, who they're playing or, or where they're playing. I just complain, mm-hmm. complain about the win. But, it, but it, it, in your I, system, you said the Steelers were negative eight, Baltimore negative seven. Were there any teams in the NFL that had a negative score I only did the AFC okay. North okay gotcha. and I've done this with this system for many years and I always do the North to compare the schedules there but um, you know there, there's one year that I'm aware of the New York Giants played three teams coming off a bye in the same year which is the biggest deduction you can have wow is a, is a, is a minus seven for that alone so um, that's that's just absurd and it's so easy to fix it doesn't take a set theory expert all you need to do is basically have a divisional uh, games after divisional buys that's all you need to do it's easy you can easily pair up six I mean, it's the easiest freaking thing on the earth and they won't do it so uh yeah. anyway how do the giants was, how do the giants do and that's i'm not making even your homework over here but i, I don't remember <laughs> i just be curious I, i'm guessing not well but i i just be curious yeah i i i'd have to look back to see the exact year that it was uh it probably wouldn't be hard to do with a simple google search and then go back to find the year but mm-hmm. uh, but anyway i haven't done it gotcha I, Alex, anyway, always a pleasure to have you on, buddy. And we'll have you on for one of the Know Your Foe episodes during the season. Lots of good Steelers people out there. Tell people a little bit about your, about your work, where you where you post, and, uh, and what you typically write about. Yeah, we're over on Steelers Depot covering the team and trying to get through the offseason here, trying to figure out what to write about right now. But uh, the good news is with, with training camp opening back up, Steelers should be back at Latrobe this year. So I'll be out there as well getting to cover the, uh, the team for, for training camp. That's my favorite time of year. You can find me on Twitter, as we mentioned earlier, at Alex underscore Kazora, K-O-Z-O-R-A, and find us over on SteelersDepot.com. All right. Outstanding, Alex. Uh, we'll uh, certainly asking people out there, same as Alex just mentioned, always looking for content. I'm looking for any interested, passionate Ravens fans. If you have a topic you'd like to discuss with me, come on, do a film study short for 15 minutes and love to talk to you. Love to get new ideas out there, especially if it's analysis. But even if it's not analysis, uh, the narrower the topic, the better. I'll tell you that. And, and uh, we'll get right to you. Alex, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Take care. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough, and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the Pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only.